Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of the Book Riot podcast is sponsored by The Atomic Weight of Love, the debut novel by Elizabeth J. Church. Here's what the story is about. It's the journey of a young woman whose scientific ambitions are subverted by the expectations of her era. Her name, the protagonist, is Meridian Wallace, and she goes from being a science student in the World War II years in Chicago all the way to being in the Los Alamos in the 1970s, and it blends an intriguing piece of American history with science, feminism, and a great, passionate love story. Was a bunch of people are talking about this book already. It was the number one indie next pick for May. That's this month right now. It's available now. It came out May 3rd. It was Amazon's debut spotlight of the month. It's getting buzz and attention from a whole bunch of corners at this point, and it's the hottest, you know, one of the hottest times of the year, and a bunch of people are talking about it. Harper's Bazaar called it one of the hot breakout novels of 2016. So thanks so much to The Atomic Weight of Love by Elizabeth J. Church for sponsoring this episode of the Book Riot Podcast. It's available now wherever books are sold. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 156, recording on Thursday, May 5th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. I'm fired up today. I know. you're. We're like, the pre-show was real shouty. Yeah, real shouty. And we, we've often talked about doing an after dark, but we couldn't have done that one because I, I, no. I, sp- I, I, I spilled tea on people. If you had already been into the tequila today, we'd be in trouble. No, see, tequila does the other. I get mouthy, but I get nice. You know, mm. like classic college kid. You know, I love you, man. I love you. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're the best. No, you're the best. Great. I'm never going to forget you. That's, it's terrible. It's maudlin. It's charming. It's, maudlin, it's really and, charming. Maudlin and embarrassing. Um, <laughs> So anyway, that we're back. We're getting ready for book for BEA. We did our preview show last week. Thank you guys for the nice things you said about that. You didn't mind too much that we kind of went through yeah. some of the things. Um, and we're gonna we'll have a. I guess we're, we were just talking about since we're both going to be in BEA during our normal recording time, our show might be a little late next week, and it may not have both of us on it. We'll figure it out. So we'll figure be, it out. Be yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend a little extra time in Chicago. Got to yep. visit the old stomping grounds. Right. Oh, um, oh to, several. Rebecca went to college in Chicago. Yeah, I went to Loyola. Woo woo. Uh, Go Jesuits. Yes. I mean, I love me a Jesuit. You know, you you could do worse. You could. It's a great, it is a great philosophy Mm -hmm. of education. I'm not Catholic. I'm like the furthest thing from Catholic. And uh, I really love the Jesuits. They're, they're great. Um, So yeah. Oh, several people asked after our BEA preview last week, if we were going to be at BookCon on Saturday. And so we should answer that. We are not. No, we will not be. We we'll be on around the show floor. Tweet at us. We might find you if you're on the show yeah. floor for real. I'm, and I really do have bright purple hair right now. I am not hard to miss. So uh, if you I see, am quite tall and bald. If you see a tall, bald guy with a short woman who has purple hair, you are 100 yeah, about to talk to the two of us. Your fail rate is going to be approaching zero. <laughs> on, on There's not a false positive for this pairing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you can check us. Uh, you can um, 
tweet at us if you're on the show floor. We have meetings and stuff to mm-hmm. do, but we're going to be looking for galleys and fun, yeah. fun stuff. To Please do come anyway. say hi to us if you, you know, if we're running around and you want to say hi. We like to meet people. We're both nice. Yes, we are. Uh, Shoutiness aside. So. Yeah. Uh, also, also, speaking of events, a quick word to Book Riot Live early bird registrations end May 31st. So at the end of this month. And what do we get for early bird? You Remind get- me again. $40 off the yeah, weekend ticket registration. You get first crack at RSVPing to things that require RSVPs and special events. So like you get the first crack at going to our fancy Saturday night cocktail party. Oh, and there's only like 30 of those left. Rare book room. Yeah, there yeah, are not, not many, of, many those of those left. Um, and like last year we had Margaret Atwood as the marquee speaker and we required RSVPing to attend her panels, whoever our fancy speakers are this year. If you are an early bird registrant, we should have called this early pigeon because of Reginald. <laughs> Squad. <laughs> then you will uh, be first to have an opportunity to RSVP and to attend those panels or whatever we do with our marquee speakers this year. And you get a free Book Riot Live water bottle because yep. hydration is important. Yeah, number one, the no- we got almost exclusively positive comments last year. The one we didn't get is, I could could we have a bottle of water? Would that kill you to have water? It was like, okay, we'll get a bottle of water. So we're going to take care of that this year. We're going to take care of that. Um, so Go to bookwritelive.com. Book Check out. We'll be there. And we're going to do a live version of this show. We will. Which, I'm looking forward to it already. <laughs> If you missed it this year, you can go back and listen, and it is the shoutiest, sweariest version. Yeah, of this I think podcast. next time, I think for this fall, we'll have to do like a ten-minute pre-show where we really are we work blue for ten minutes before we record, <laughs> like really, really blue, yeah. like bluer than like like yeah, and like re- like Harvey Keitel and like a cop drama blue. <laughs> I don't know if my heart can take. Yeah, that. I don't know. Probably. Um, anyway, but it'll be fun. Looking forward to that. Let's do our first sponsor, Audible. Audible is back. I've been waiting for this because I got an audio pick I want to talk about. But oh, yeah. just, just in case you want to know, uh, Audible, it, it, look, if you like podcasts and you haven't tried audiobooks, you should. And you probably should try Audible because here's the thing. Over 250,000 titles, basically if there's an audiobook of something, Audible is going to have it. Publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, business information providers. You've got to get good at that biz dev. You could go to Audible. The app is free, works on iPhones, iPad, Android, Windows Phone. If you're listening to this show, probably whatever device you have can play an Audible uh, file. Here's the other thing. You own your files. You unsubscribe from Audible. You get to keep those files, and you can play them through your app um, for as long as Audible is around. They also have the great listen guarantee. If you you decide you don't like the book, whatever reason, don't like the narrator, oops, it's 48 hours long. Oops, it's, it's not something I thought been it was. There. Yeah, I've been there too. Um, you can say, you know what, I can exchange it right there. You don't have to go through a person, you don't have to send an email. The functionality is like built into your account. So you just click on it and say, nope, return it. Credit is uh, instantly given back to you. You can go spend it on something else. Um, and just for listeners, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot today to start your free trial. It shows your support for the show. Meaning, you know, you heard it, you like it, you want to give us the credit so they can keep the new advertising and continue the show. Audiblepodcast.com slash bookwright. Go right now. My pick, I've been I've been screaming about this on the Bookwright Contributor Back Channels. Uh, uh, Lab Girl by Hope Jaron is my pick. Uh, she is a botanist, um, a, a professor of botany at the University of Hawaii right now. And it, it's a memoir, and it's it's not what I thought it was going to be. Um, it, it was more than I was expecting. Kind of like H is for Hawk. It wasn't what I thought mm-hmm. it would be. It was kind of it was about more than I, I thought it was going to be about sort of 
you know, I like science-y, I like nonfiction audiobooks. That's going to be about, you know, here's what you need to know about botany, like a fun book about, you know, science-y, pop science about botany. It was a memoir about, it's about what it means to be a professional scientist now, you know, the realities of it, what it means to be a woman scientist, what it means to be from Minnesota, what it means to have bipolar disorder, what it means to have sort of this, uh, the, you know, the most compelling thing to me, honestly, is about her friend and co-researcher, his name is Bill, and they, you know, they find each other and they're they're not romantic partners and they're not siblings, but they're something more and less than all of those things. Um, and that journey is really interesting to, to watch. There is a lot about botany. Uh, you know, there's lots of good factoids. The one I'll give you right now, uh, just just for listening to the show, talks about how you know, kudzu. You're from, you're in the south. You have you have cut oh, kudzu. Oh, I know in some Richmond. kudzu. So apparently, kudzu is from, is from Japan and was brought over in 1867 by the Japanese ambassador as a gift um, to the U.S. consulate, and it was put in one of the botanical gardens in D.C. And over the next, well, it's been 150 years now, spread all over the south mostly, and now covers an area that roughly the size of Connecticut. Can you believe that? That's crazy. So that's a, you get you get factoids like that, but you also get this other stuff that's really interesting about knowledge and discovery and finding yourself in partnership and yeah, it was great. It was great. I loved it. Um, the other thing, and I, and I asked about this at Book Riot Channel. I think from what other people have said, it's the only instance we could think of or have heard about. Um, Hope herself uh, or Dr. Jaron, um, she doesn't even tell you how to refer to her. Uh, reads audio. She narrates her own audiobook. And there's at the particularly emotional moment, she like cry narrates it. Like, like it's not actually like sobbing, but it's like that. It's like on the verge of that choked up sound. Yeah, it's like you're looking at a wave, you know, coming to the beach, and it's just about to crest. Like it's just turning. That's where she is with crying. And there's only it's not all the way through. There's like three or four spots, and I don't know how she did it. I mean, they must have done double takes because waves have to crest. You know, that's and she must have cried and then got back. Together and really amazing narration. I I loved it. One of my favorite audiobooks I've listened to in a long, long time. This is the closest to gushy I think I've ever heard. Yes, I don't I don't get gushier than that really. I really don't. I, I loved it. It's I a ringing it endorsement. Yeah, ringing endorsement. I'm listening to that next month. Right now, I am re-listening to um, "Smarter, Faster, Better" by Charles Duhigg. I well, I read it and now I'm listening to it. Business I'm listening to it right now myself. It's That's good stuff. My, it's good. Yeah. It's going to be fun when like it, it's. It's going to be fun when we start um, using the techniques from the book on each other. <laughs> Are there techniques in that one, though? I, I don't well, feel like no, it's, it's more not. anecdotal. It's not, yeah, it's not use this on each other, but like I, I can feel I'm going to have ideas in meetings. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like from, getting to yes, where you're like, oh, I right, see you that, move knight to queen four. Right, Is that right, chess? Yeah. I just when, made it. I just said some chess stuff. I'm not even sure that's right. It's when I, uh, <laughs> am I saying chess words? Yeah. Uh, when like I was the, in grad school for learning how to do therapy, Bob would constantly be like, are you doing therapy stuff at mm-hmm. me? And it's funny when I've read a book and then you read it or when you've read a book and then I read it and I'm like, oh, I see what that I see. conversation was. It's like that was. Uh, sword fight in The Princess Bride. You know, <laughs> I and like, see you. I see you use Kapapel's defense against me. I think <laughs> considering the rocking terrain, like that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I like doing too. I like the power yeah. of habit a little bit better, I have to say. Yeah, I like the power of habit a little, a little more bit better, too. And it's a little habit. more like immediately applicable for most yep. people's lives, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're running a team or doing anything management-y, Smarter, Faster, Better is I think especially... Smarter, Faster, Better is a better listen. Like, it's more entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, it's like because there's more stories or interesting stuff about, like, the creation of West Side Story, poker. Uh, I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of what else. Uh, the movie Frozen, which I don't know if you know that... Uh, you know, because you've read the book, but yeah. like it got radically redone like eight months out or something like that from the mm-hmm. release and completely changed in the process they use. A lot of interesting stuff there. Um, 
That's a good pick too. Smarter, faster, better. Yep. Okay. That's our, that's audible.com. Thank you so much. Audiblepodcast.com slash book right to get a get a uh, free thirty day membership. All right. All right. We got we're off book well, you here. Have, we're off you're book. Gonna, you wanna you're gonna quiz me. Yeah, we got the uh the final numbers for twenty fifteen in publishing sales. You hear that? Got it right here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That I start to just automatically break out in hives when you make that sound because it means I'm just about to fail at well, whatever the no, quiz I mean, this, is. Well, no, I mean, this is, you're not, it's not really a quiz. It's really a statement of your value as a human being. It's really, oh, that's, thanks. That's, that's really, really so much better. So uh, the final final numbers for 2014, 2015 takes them a while. to They used a full fiscal year. So uh, let's see. How, did, how do I want to break this down? How about this? Total revenue. Any guesses for the Association of American Publishers? <laughs> for the entire publishing entire industry? industry? North American publishing industry. Actually, American, it's U.S., I guess. Yeah, U.S. publishing okay. industry. I, uh, well, they're in the three comma club for sure. Oh, yeah. Yes. The entire publishing industry. Entire publishing. I have, uh, this is just a. Yeah, sure. Stupid guess. Um <sighs> A hundred billion. Now, fifteen billion. <laughs> fifteen billion. Uh, that was so that's, optimistic. It's tricky. It's tricky. Um, okay, so now that you know, there's there's the the fifteen. All right, fifteen. Fifteen point four billion dollars total revenue last year. That's a negative two point six percent change over the year before. That's that's okay. the top line. Top Man, line. Story. I knew that hundred number was crazy. Yeah, that's a big. That's a big number. Mouth. That's okay. That's okay. No judgment. <laughs> Um, it's just my value as a human being to, we're talking well, about. Well, I mean, that's, no that's all it is. Um, every There's only two categories that were up. And here are the whole, here are the categories that give us adult books, children's young adult, religious presses, professional books, K-12 okay. instructional materials, higher ed materials, university presses, and other. Hmm. Um, so I'll get rid of other. That was up 4.4%. I don't know what that is. Other is not it's, helpful. It's only $28 million. Is that where coloring books live? No, no. There you go. You're on to it. Tell me where coloring books trade lives. paperback. Coloring books count as trade paperbacks. under adult books. Trade paperback and that okay. whole category was up sixteen point two percent last year on the strength of coloring books. Largely, Shinsky's coming back. I'm bringing it back. Yep, there you go. Um, so that that was sixteen. Okay, short, that was up to one point four billion dollars in trade paperback. Okay, up uh one up one hundred and ten million dollars over last year. So that was one of the two categories. That yeah, well, that, I'm sorry, that was under adult trade. Adult. That's okay. sort of the subsection. Okay. The, the other one that was up was religious presses. One point two percent. Everything else was down. Higher ed. Children's young adult, K through twelve, professional, university press, all down, um, and it comes out to be negative two point six percent under adult trade. You already got the most interesting story, I think. Trade paperback mm-hmm. was up sixteen point two percent. Hardcover down a half percent. Um, mass market paperback down seven percent. Ebooks down nine and a half percent. So that's a pretty oh, big. Yeah. Physical audio only down five point seven percent. Really shockingly. Sixty-one million dollars in physical audio purchase last year. Libraries are driving that. Yep. So okay. So here's here's your next guess. Shot in the dark. So here, you, physical audio is sixty-one million dollars last year. How much was downloadable audio last year? Oh, what multiple 61. do you think of sixty-one? Or really? Yeah, mm, that's the way I think about it. I'm gonna say f- downloadable audio was. Five times as much as physical? Very good guess. It's 205, so it's about okay. three and a half. All right. 
I don't feel too bad about that. $205 million last year, up 39% year over year. The biggest single earner, uh, uh, gainer in terms of mm-hmm. percentage. I'm shocked, though, that it's only three and a half times physical audio. That's a I mean, that that's all sort of uh, idiosyncratic it, use bias on my part because I don't uh, I don't know what it would take me to buy a to CD. It has to be libraries buying all those physical audio books. I, I guess it right? must be. I don't know where else it would be. I really don't. I, like, I, I don't know where else it would be. Um, those are, they're so expensive. They are so expensive. They're so expensive. So anyway. Like, I just, they're so expensive. So yeah, I think that's the most interesting. I mean, 38, 39% up for downloadable audio, $205 million. Just as a, give you some relative uh, numbers, the, the hardcover adult trade market last year was $1.6 billion. Mm-hmm. So it's still only, you know, one eighth of the size of the hardcover market. So it's got some room to grow. Yeah, Not there's a lot of ceiling there. It's gonna the next one it's gonna catch that's interesting is gonna be mass market paperback. Um, mass market paperback was um, three hundred and fifty two million dollars last year. So interesting. You know, it doesn't. It takes about two more years of thirty nine percent growth um, to catch that. Uh, trade paperback one point five billion. Ebooks one point two billion. Just about. Okay. So not that's as many 10%. as not as much as trade paperback, but almost almost. Yeah. So there you go. Interesting uh, anything stuff. else you're interesting about? Anything My else? brain wants to make reasons for things because that's how brains Well, work. coloring books. And I wonder if coloring, so coloring books, like that's a great stress reliever, right? And religious presses, you said the only other category. I mean, that marginally 1.2. Everything else so is like between like 1 and 3% is, either way. Everybody's stressed out and reading less, but we're coloring more and reading religious yeah, books. Yeah, either that or there was relax. either that or last year was a down year. Like one, you yeah. know, I was. Well, re- yeah, I, yes, but there's I always want to explain that. things, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, I guess the other thing too is we did have Gray and we did have Ghost at a Watchman last year, it's true. and we had Girl on the Train, and people are still buying the crap out of the Nightingale, mm-hmm. and so we were still down 0.5. Per- I guess Gray was paperback though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was paperback only. Um, yeah, I don't think anything else, there's not enough of a percentage gain to like have much of a reason. Like some of it's just noise. Like when you're down 0.5%, that's kind of just noise. Well, sure. And I I wonder also if that 0.5% would be statistically significant too. Like, does it even mean something? Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it's probably not. Whereas 16.2% of a $1.5 billion line item for trade paperback. That's a, that's crazy. That's a huge jump. Huge swing. And, you know, downloadable audio. Uh, for sure. You know, the other thing I saw, and I have to find the, um, the, the link is that, you know, there aren't that actually many more people listening to audiobooks. It's just that the people that are, are listening to mm-hmm. a lot more audiobooks, which I think is interesting. Um, same with podcasts. Also year to date this year, just in case you're wondering the whole industry year to date for the first four months of 2016 is up 6% <laughs> altogether. The biggest change is adult nonfiction is up 13% over last year. Juvenile nonfiction up eleven percent, um, and I, that adult nonfiction is that when uh, when Breath Becomes Air, that Kalanthi book is selling like gangbusters. Sold a quarter of a million copies already in print. I bought that, but I cannot bring no, myself no thanks. to read it yet. I'm not ready. Michelle would call that a snot bomb. You know, you're just gonna cry so bad you're just like mucus comes flying out of your face. Snot bomb, can't do it. No shot. I definitely could not do that on audio. No, no. There's no. And if Hope Jaron narrated and like cried through it, they're just totally, totally shot. I just couldn't. I read. I did read a book called The Iceberg by Marion Coots. I think Mm. it was either at the very end of last year or early this year. That um, was a memoir of her husband getting. Uh, He had a brain tumor that was very advanced, and he was a writer and artist, and uh, she 
writes about how their family dealt with this person whose life was about language, slowly losing his language at the same time. Mm. Oh, now I'm getting choked up at the same time uh-huh. that their toddler was learning to no, speak. No, come on, stop. Oh, Just come on. I can't. It was so good. And I cried so oh, much. That's a, throw a kid into the mix. That's a disaster. Yeah. It was like, I could, I can conceive of the, uh, like the adult stuff but when she started writing about their kid and i was like oh my god i just no. it was a great book it was i'm much more resilient book. in print but some about audio if it's yeah sad, oh yeah aura, yeah one of so one of the contributors was just talking because there's um, a cover now for the brian cranston memoir yeah. that's coming out this fall um which i'm so excited about uh but he we started talking about him and he narrated a version of the things they carried mm. a few years ago that man i've read that book so many times i know what's gonna happen uh but Kyle, i had to pull Kyle. like i had to pull over to cry um <laughs> Which, so, that's so sad. That book is like, so sad. I'm all like that not one a part big is crier. So that's a, I know. I'm not a big crier, but man, if I just it wrecked me. Mm, I was like mm. a block away from the gym, and I was like, well, that's not happening. Are people today. listening to a little life here. on audio? I hope not. Oh, my God. Well, first of all, that would be like 48 hours. Well, that's true. That's true. It's so tough. There should be some, there should be some like, you know, motor vehicle law. Like here are the list of books you can't (laughs) listen to while driving because it's just not safe. That's just not safe. Like if you try to put something in on Waze when the car is moving, it's like, are you a passenger? Because otherwise, no. No, it's horrible. You're listening to when breath becomes air on the highway. That's, that's a hazard. (laughs) Maybe your insurance company should ask you, do you listen to sad audiobooks? Like, oh, your car yeah, there's just, 70 bucks a month off like for your insurance. Detect, Sorry. like, oh, she's listening to a No, that's true. So These smart cars, they can detect where you are. They're just going <laughs> to detect. The car's going to take over. While yeah, or there's like a warning, like, there's a really sad part coming up, like, take <laughs> cover. Pull over. Yeah, please pull over. You are about to and cry. And your dashboard your face just off. starts dispensing Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, the Tesla will probably come up with that. Soft firmware update. Well, they'll do that. Right. It's a new feature on Garmin. Yeah, well, that's, that, that'd be the nice thing about autopilot for a Tesla. It's like, oh, you know, Tesla take the Elon Musk take the wheel. I got to cry here for a second. <laughs> Elon take the wheel. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get on. We're being silly. <laughs> we got, well, we were on so, sort of tech stuff. Oh, yeah, we're on tech uh, stuff. So, so speaking, this is a crazy story. Tell me about right. this Google story. Okay, so Google has a bunch of AI, a bunch of artificial intelligence that they're trying to teach about language and about like human relationships and one of the ways that they're doing it which this is i think it's fun and awesome is they're feeding it text from romance novels um, I feel like this is an seeing... April Fool's joke story. Yeah, don't you? but it's not. Yeah, okay, okay, sorry. It's read books like Unconditional Love, Ignited, Fatal Desire, something called Jacked Up, which just I have many ideas what that could be about. Um, and it's noticing Google has determined their researchers are noticing that uh, the artificial intelligence engine, it's it is developing in a way that it can parse the text of romance novels to understand um, personality and to fill in some of the conversational skills that the AI engine lacks. There's a lot of banter in Uh romance novels. Um, And so uh, Andrew Dye, who's the Google software engineer that led some of this, he said that the responses in the Google app are very factual. And so they want it to be more conversational. They want it to be more fun and to feel more like a person. Um, So when they do use this Google inbox smart reply 
product that can suggest three responses to emails uh, that you receive that are drawn from the AI engine, they're going to, you know, maybe use some of the conversational skills that it mm. learned from romance novels. And it says it, it makes great, these romance novels make great training material because they all use basically the same structure to tell basically the same plot, right? Like we've talked about how one of the things that is true for romance novels is that they do have to follow a certain formula. Mm-hmm. Um, like a girl falls in love with like they meet they fall in love they encounter some like tragedy or crisis or obstacle they overcome it they end up happily ever after and like since the novels follow such a similar pattern they can just go look at the language used to fulfill that pattern and they're finding like romance novels work much better than children's learning to read books for teaching ai Hmm. um about human language Uh, yeah so so far it has read 2865 romance novels (laughs) which makes it about average for a romance reader (laughs) for like that's a typical typical year year for a romance reader uh interesting it's so fascinating so it's basically doing language processing and it can pick up markers like he said and she said and you know the dialogue is clearly marked Mm -hmm. and they can basically look at the difference it's fascinating really i guess it is it's it's what you have is is basically a huge data set of dialogue right that's Mm -hmm. that's what it is yeah it's and they chose romance which is also cool to see romance like i like whenever we can give validation to the romance genre because it's great and valid and a jillion people read it but it's the genre that everybody wants to be snobby about like it's the easiest fish in the barrel for someone to be snobby about but you know here's google building like we live in the future technology off of the language from it and the buzzfeed piece that i'm looking at does also ask since the ai engine was raised on romance novels could someone fall in love with it <laughs> and the guy said oh well actually it could happen of course so, it can. he tells the pig when google, well, when google inbox starts suggesting how you should reply to your emails you can think a romance novel i i guess that i guess there's no equivalent i was thinking like wouldn't you just want to use like actual human dialogue but what what are you going to look at, like that you have in text form that is so extensive, like yeah, legal transcripts of like court of of oh. law? I mean, that's not it. No, I mean, that's not want, how people talk. No, I mean, what else would even? That's what I'm getting at. Like, what else yeah. would even be like NSA transcripts of phone conversations and whatever they think could, they keep right, with the place? I guess you could feed it a bunch of like sitcom scripts. Oh yeah, you could do that. You could do um, that. But but for f- sheer volume, wanna, like yeah, every man, romance novel that's ever been written, there's tens of thousands. You don't want to feed it literary fiction that's for sure no 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 because like it's relatively simple right because there's a lot of dialogue mm-hmm. between two people falling in love really right. like, so you can there's it's bounded to some degree. and yeah the, the books are very much about the conversation because mm-hmm. they're so relationship driven yeah really interesting stuff um speaking uh let's do more tech tech corner yeah, this is this is related this actually i thought this was fascinating so tour books um, which is uh, the science fiction and fantasy imprint of Macmillan, I think. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm yeah, starting to get right. these things right. Um, they acquired a book. No, I'm sorry. They acquired a book in using a recommendation of a company called Inkit, I-N-K-I-T-T, that uses algorithms to evaluate books and, and decide if they're going to be if they're going to be popular. They're looking mm-hmm. for tropes. Um, not unlike, I mean, it's. It's, a, it's, it's looking for an algorithm, and it's trying to decide um, by an algorithm, you know, does it have the qualities we expect of uh, a hit book? Something like this has been used in movies for a while. Um, 
where the, you could look at a script and you'd put, you actually don't, I don't think this one doesn't look at the script. You just put a plug, plug in the plot and the director and the stars mm-hmm. and the genre and the budget. And it sort of spits out an expected profit basically based on that. And apparently it's pretty accurate on the whole. It's very bad for new directors and breakout stars, as you might've sure. guessed, because there's no data, but for people that have some movies under their belt, um, it's pretty, uh, pretty predictive. So this one is basically trying to use predictive data in publishing, and this deal shows our business model works, that's what Inkit says. Um, so we're going to see, right? We're going to yeah, see. it's interesting. The author submitted the novel through Inkit's Hidden Gems Writing Contest, so it came out of the clear blue ocean, you know, basically a, a glorified slush pile, and they're trying to see if they can, they can get it. It's called Bright, Bright Star. Star. Um, it's a fantasy novel. There's Young Adult. Young adult. Um, I don't. Do you need an algorithm to know that this is? I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's <laughs> other things about it. Um, so anyway, so Inkit they got the rights, and then I guess they're getting the the distribution and publishing deal through Tor Books. But Tor's, I mean, this is a real major imprint. Um, so yeah, and they're thinking yeah. once they find some bestsellers, then they can get the books to print. And then they can, you know, basically make a lot less waste in the publishing industry. Because we know this, that most books don't earn out, um, just the way it works. I was actually reading uh, uh, How to Wins and How to Win Flint Friends and Influence People again the other day, uh, a couple weeks ago. And the first anecdote uh, Carnegie opens with is about, it's, it's written in 1936 about how someone in publishing told him that seven out of 10 books lose money. Like the, the, the song yep. remains the same. Mm-hmm. So really they're trying to hack around this, this problem in publishing I don't even know a problem. It's like a condition, I guess. It's just sort of table stakes that you actually know that most of your books aren't going to make money, but the ones that do make a ton of money. Um, so there we go. I'm not sure. What do you think? Is this going to work? I mean, it's interesting. I would love to see somebody take data from like Penguin Random House mm. and feed that into like break out the data for how you categorize a bunch of those books. Like by a, you could do it for a jillion variables, you know? Yeah. Like, all sorts of genre stuff, how many characters there are, how many voices are in it, how many pages to the book, blah, blah, blah. Like you could go forever on what the variables would be and try to draw some patterns between the most successful ones and then go from there about predictive stuff. That would be super interesting. Mm-hmm. So I guess Inkit, I, like, I have so many questions. I like the I like the opportunity to play with this kind of stuff yeah. and that people are doing it. So I'd love to know like what sort of data are they using? Um, what sort of publishing data are mm-hmm. they using, you know, then to get these predictions for their new projects? Um, but it, I mean, it could be interesting. I think writing, like the quality of writing and the way a story feels are intangible and immeasurable in some ways. And they're like, that, you know, is a thing that you can't put through predictive analysis. Well, I'm, um, I, maybe you can, I, I guess the thing, maybe, maybe you can, I don't know enough about how sophisticated the algorithms. I guess the thing that I'm interested in is that we also know that there are plenty of good books out there that don't become bestsellers that oh, kind yeah. of don't have anything to do with the, what's on the page. Yeah. There's right? this great Tom Bissell essay in, um, what is the name of that collection? Oh, I'll think I don't of it. Know. We'll Tom Bissell is a bookseller notes. in Seattle. He used to work for Amazon. Is that the guy you're thinking of? Uh, no. no. Oh, Tom Bissell, the like cultural commentator oh, essayist. Oh, no. Thinking of a different guy. Yeah. There's this great essay um, that I think he originally published in one of the major newspapers, and then it's in the book. Um, Magic Hours, mm. I think, is the book. Um, and the essay is essentially about how much 
success in publishing is based on luck. Yeah. Um, and so, like, the answer is most of it. Well, <laughs> I mean, luck is another way of saying external factors we don't understand. Yeah, right? no, exactly. It, it, yeah, so the, whatever words on the page, maybe you need, there's a necessary condition, but it's not sufficient, right? Th mm -hmm. There's a certain quality or a certain thing going on, on the page. But we've also, I think we both read this study in one of the same business books we used to fight each other with about, <laughs> they took, remember, they took that set of songs, right? Yes, yeah. And it's the same set of songs. And they basically have several different groups, and they would vote on which songs they liked the best, and everyone else mm -hmm. could see each other's voting. And in each group, there were different winners in terms yeah. of what became the most popular. Now, each win the group of winners came from a bounded set within the larger set, mm -hmm. but what specific group of winners came out in each group was variable. You know, yeah. it wasn't the same, and it varied quite drastically in a, all these social signalings and time of year and stuff that goes on in the larger world and one good blurb or one, you know, recommendation from who on what and the thing. Um, so I don't know. And that kind of stuff is going to take some data to know if Inkit's algorithm is going to beat yeah. what, you know, you know, are they going to give it 25 books to see? Like if it underperforms for seven titles, which it very well could and still be a better algorithm. Like this is how statistics work, right? This is how things happen. Mm -hmm. Like it could underperform for five or six in a row and still be a better way of doing it in the long run. But is someone going to stick with it that long to find out? That Those are the kinds of things I'm interested. Yeah, it's it could be really interesting. Could be very um, interesting. But you just don't know. So I'm, I just Googled to try to figure out the title of this one essay from mm -hmm. Magic Hours and I can't figure it out. But do you know who wrote the New York Times Sunday book review of Magic Hours when the collection? came out in 2012 i'm so surprised in 2012 who wrote it uh i don't have any idea garth risk hallberg oh no way who wrote city on fire uh-huh which was the you know like the big darling debut of last so fall. the story about hallberg be... being a nobody is a false one isn't that isn't well, that the isn't that the line we got fed that he was just like toiling away in his basement? Well, I mean, how I, you can still be relative nobody. You're just reviewing books for the New York Times, like four years before your book comes out. Oh, sarcasm! It took me a minute to pick <laughs> up on that. I was like, what is she? Say? Oh, that's sarcasm. Boy, I'm <laughs> off my game. How did he get that gig? Uh, probably the Iowa Writers Workshop yeah, connections. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, he's he a nobody. No connections. No one know him. We'll see. You just have to be a really good book reviewer, and then you'll get <laughs> gigs at the New York Times, Jeff. Connections don't matter. They don't matter. matter. It's all a meritocracy. You know. uh, anyway, so that's interesting. We're it's gonna not follow like that. being a young white guy. Helps. I'm going to be curious to see. I mean, presumably the book's done, so the book should come out pretty soon. Um, Bright Star. Yeah, I will be interested. And it says the uh, after that, they're working on a coming-of-age gay and lesbian romance called Just Juliet. Hmm. Interesting. And yeah. All right. Where do you want to go next? Where do I want to go next? Okay. So we're still in tech corner. I've got a couple more mm -hmm. things here. I think you had this one in critical. Yeah, this week, I did. Maybe Sir Ian McKellen, he who played Gandalf. Yes. Magneto. You know. Yeah. And also, didn't he play? He did a couple rounds as um, Dumbledore. No, after different Richard guy. Harris. Different guy. Richard Harris That's and right. Michael Gambon. Yeah. Okay. I knew he couldn't have been Gandalf and Dumbledore. No, he can't How do that. that. The, the geek no. gods But it would have been that. amazing. Yeah, would have been good. Uh, he has released new apps intended to make Shakespeare's plays more enjoyable and accessible. And mm. if you are wondering why Ian McKellen, it's because he came up through the Royal Shakespeare Company and really made his mark as a, um, a theater actor. Mm. So 
The first one is devoted to The Tempest. You can get it on iTunes for $5.99. So it's in the um, Apple Store. And the apps feature actors performing dramatic scenes from the plays while the text scrolls by. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch likes it. Yes. If that helps you. I think this is actually really brilliant. Reading Shakespeare, just reading it on the page. Yeah is difficult and yeah it's difficult it's not very much fun um when i was in school we listened like we sat in a classroom and listened to audio like to cassette tapes Mm. of i think much ado about nothing but it really helped um i think this is very cool he's gonna do oodles of them yeah all 30 all all the major plays it's gonna get yeah really interesting stuff it's a little pricey for each. Do you notice that? It also includes... four ninety nine per per uh, for an app? I don't know. $5.99. Well, so you get the full text of The Tempest. Which is in the public domain. Just in say. the first folio. Right. It's in the public domain. But you, you do get the full text of the book. You get the audio performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you can switch between, I guess, three different levels of notes, depending on the level of your need or desire as a reader. So you get annotation and help, which is also useful for Shakespeare, for yes. some of that vocabulary that is no longer popular. Um, you get a breakdown and an explanation of every character and their lines across the scene. So this is really like a deep dive Shakespearean Yeah, yeah, for sure. It really meeting. is. For, fan, for fans, scholars, you know, advanced students, it would seem to Yeah. Me. If you're struggling through Shakespeare in a class, I think five ninety nine is worth it. Sure. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It just seems a little on the high side for what's a glorified, you know, it's a public domain work with annotations. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being unfair. But I think it's cool. Well, I think not it's unfair. Cool. I think like you I think like a reader at the stage of life that you are is probably less likely to want this thing unless you just want the pleasure of listening to someone mm. read you Shakespeare. Is the whole thing performed? You get a full audio performance? Yeah, a digital version of mm. yeah, that's not bad. Shakespeare. Yeah. That's not bad. Uh, it's not bad. Like it's that's a, that's a hell of a lot cheaper than an audio book. Oh, that's true. Though I wonder if you can. I, I bet you can get there's public domain performances of most Shakespeare out there. I would guess. Probably. There's a lot of really. You know, if you haven't tried public domain um, audiobooks of classics, there are some really what good ones. What is that ones service? There's a service oh. that does it where like normal people just read and record themselves oh, reading public domain books. Amanda has myself. done some. Um, Okay, we'll put in the show notes next time. We'll, we'll, we'll do some follow-up next time. Yeah, what's it's it? called LibriVox. Yeah, LibriVox. Yes, there you go. Thank you very much. If, if it's, it's almost like you have a uh, inter- distributed information network. <laughs> it's almost your... like I have an internet at my yeah. fingers. There's that. Uh, uh, what else? So we... there's that. We got, what, one more kind of tech query? Yeah, what, what, the Shelfie what's this thing? one? I haven't even looked at this one, to be honest. Okay, so Shelfie is the app formerly known as BitLit. Right. Um, where you could take pictures of your books. And uh, in that iteration, if you took a picture of the title page of a book with your signature on it, like proving that you mm-hmm. owned that book, if uh, Shelfie had a deal with that publisher, then they would send you a free or discounted version of the ebook. It's basically the closest that we've seen to ebook print book bundling. Um, so Shelfie has partnered, this is their first bookstore partnership with the gorgeous, wonderful Harvard bookstore in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I love them very much. Um, they're offering digital editions of four print books and this is the as i said the first time that this startup has tested a bookstore thing so um they've got let's see shelfie kicked off the partnership with a reading of the ted talks um mm-hmm. so there's a ted talks book then there um it's hmh titles the other ones life of pi Jhumpa Lahiri's Interpreter of Maladies and Mark Bittman's How to Cook Everything, which is an enormous cookbook. So I hmm. uh, understand the appeal of wanting 
that digitally. Um, and so this is the first time that Houghton Mifflin Harcourt has offered these titles through Shelfie. They selected these for promotion in conjunction with Harvard Bookstore and Shelfie, and it might be expanded. Hmm. So I guess Harvard Bookstore is just promoting these book bundles. But really, if you have these titles at all, you can use Shelfie to get mm -hmm. the ebook version of them. Yeah, I guess so. Um, it's interesting, like Shelfie has signed, it says here, this is a Publishers Weekly piece, 1300 publishers, including HarperCollins, Macmillan, 1300 and Hachette. publishers? Yes, it says they've signed 1300 publishers, including three of the big five. Mm -hmm. um, we're just not hearing much about it. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. I think it's it's a cool situation where you it's a way of to kind of hack the bundling problem. Yeah. Um, it, now, if we could just get real bundling, I don't know that Shelfie's still around, but we don't. We're not. I mean, God, you thought I thought in the year of our Lord 2016, we'd have jetpacks and bundling, but we don't. So this is what we're doing. Yeah, this is our closest. This is our closest thing. I've used it. It works. I have too. It yeah. works. It definitely works. Um uh, I can't, what's in it for the bookstore? I wonder. Maybe they're just experimenting. They're just experimenting. Maybe they get a cut or something. They get, they're get, given a promotional fee, mm -hmm. something like that. Oh, maybe they get co-op from HMH. Uh, that's what it nah, is. See, when in doubt, it's co-op. That's one. That, like, the true story. That is a true story in publishing. When in doubt, it's co-op. <laughs> if you don't know If you don't know why from. that book got an end cap at Barnes & Noble, the answer is co-op. Yep. That's the answer. <laughs> uh, let's do our next sponsor. Book of the Month Club. We got, yeah. Nice story. I, one, you know, that's kind of like the same kind of deal that's let, you know, the, the Warby Parkers and the Harrys and the Casper mattresses of the world, you know, direct internet retailing allows a lot of interesting side of services like the, this to come to, to, to be available to more people. So Book of the Month Club, here's what they do now. Um, if you're an avid reader, there's nothing better than getting a, a new book. And it's, there's something about getting something in the mail, too, as we know. It's great to get something mm -hmm. in the mail. So it's a subscription box that keeps your reading life adventurous. Each month, you can choose from five new books that maybe you haven't heard of. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Um, they're new books. And you get the list, and you get to pick. And they have their own judges. You have their own, I guess, what do they call them? Curators? Judges? They call them judges. Judges, yeah. Basically picking a book. Um, and, and they want to bring you maybe literary gems you haven't heard of, the type of books that you're really going to make. I'm really super glad. Uh, I read that. Book of the Month has been championing great new titles for over 90 years. So it is the Book of the Month Club. This is the modern is the one. 21st century, whatever century we're in. This is the modern version of it. Doesn't, no, it doesn't use algorithms. It's real people. Some of the judges include our own Liberty Hardy. Uh, they've had some guest celebrity kind of judges. Ellie Kemper was recently on there um, from the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She picked The Nest, which is a huge, it's a selling huge. I was going to talk about that. Um, really doing well. Um, let's see. Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, David Sedaris, all kinds of people. And right now, their, their most current one is Josh Radnauer from How I Met Your Mother, who apparently is a huge book nerd. So he is a huge book nerd. You can get 30% off a three-month membership if you go and use offer code BOOKRIOT30. It's all one. It's all one. Uh, it's not really a word, but no spaces. BOOKRIOT30, all one space. You can go check it out right now. Pick something out. Get, yeah, get yourself a deal. Com. It's a fun way to, to, to keep your reading uh, interesting, fresh. Also, said last time, would make a great gift. They have a gifting yeah, option. Yeah, it would make a great gift. Mother's Day is coming up. Father's Day is around the corner. Grads, you know, all that kind of stuff. Make a really good gift. Because you're giving them both, you know, you have to pick something. 
but they don't have to they don't have to choose just the one it's just just the one title but it's also not basically a glorified gift card like it's a real curated selection they get to be in, they interact with it and get to have some fun and get a good book um thanks to the book of month club for sponsoring the show all right, let's let's wrap up. The the the, the, inter, the literary world is trolling me with this stuff. <laughs> I was going to say we you keep declaring that you're done. But how do I not talk about this? How do I not talk about this one? There's all you, you, you know. This is my boy, Walt hilarious. Whitman. I do. Yeah, this is like if you were ever going to get talked into like having the tequila and then getting a tattoo. It yeah, would it would be, be, a Walt be the, the, the great bearded the bearded one. Um, dub dub. Just a giant. Just a back giant piece back tat of Whitman's. Hoary that bearded beard. visage. Um, so, this is a weird one. I need one. this to happen. Uh, this is a weird ve- one. So, a long lost book length guide to manly health by Walt Whitman, recently rediscovered, 150 years after it was first published under a pen name. Um, basically, a uh, there was a Whitman scholar digging through some archives, uh, Zachary Turpin. As one does. As one does. That's how these these guys dig this stuff up. Mm-hmm. And apparently, there were some journal notes. Whitman's journal had re- had referred to this document, but they it had been lost, or you know, I guess not lost. It was there, just wasn't associated with him. But after looking at some, there's some direct phrases that he includes in his journals that we know that appear in the book. Fifty thousand words. Oh my so gosh. it's like a novella, basically. It was a 13-part is... series in the New York Atlas in 1858. <laughs> On manly training and to get a noble and robust physique. I just love this. It's, so it's pretty good. It's a, a first-class original work on manly training. Uh, <laughs> let's let, let, get, get, get to hear some of this stuff. Uh, here we go. <laughs> the so makers uh, guard your manly power, your health and strength from all hurts and violations. <laughs> this is the most sacred charge you'll ever have in your keeping. <laughs> To you, clerk, literary man, sedentary person, man of fortune, <laughs> idler, the same advice. Up! The world, perhaps now you'll look upon it with a pallid and disgusted eyes, is full of zest and beauty for you if you approach it in the right spirit. Out in the morning! <laughs> there you go. That's my one. That, that's my that dramatic just, reading oh for man, you. We shut down the show. Bro- we shut it. Just, <laughs> that just broke just Shut it down. A dramatic reading of Walt Whitman's like... Manly, manly truth. It's like Walt Whitman... Ron Swanson. Yes. Yeah, it's very it's very much in that vein, it seems to me. Uh, <laughs> America has a men- has mentality enough, but needs a far nobler power. physique. <laughs> well, that, that much is probably true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> there's like foot care. Well, you virility. know what? You know, it's the whole... He was, a, he, was a, he was a poet of the body. Let's put it that way. It's... <laughs> Corporeal bard. Uh, Walt Women's Manly Health. I don't even know. I don't even. <laughs> I just <laughs> short circuited Shinsky here. Glad we did that after the spot, the ad spot. <laughs> All right, let's go on to movie Keep it news. Going. Move along, Adaptation please. news. Save me. This is very exciting. This one's very exciting. Uh, news, news broke last week that Elizabeth Moss is going to star in a ten-part. <sighs> Adaptation, 10, ten episode adaptation of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. Um, going to be on Hulu. Is that right? Hulu. Yes. Yes, it is going to be on Hulu. And I don't know, if you're not excited by that, I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, like, very, well, very exciting. Yes. Ten. What Presumably do you think of ten episodes? What do you think of ten episodes? I think that's right. You think I that's think right? Ten episodes okay. is right. Um, we and we did some kicking around of this on the Book Riot back channel too. Of like, is that too much? Should it just be a movie? I don't know. I think there's enough. What I said then and what I 
still think is that there are enough interesting characters yeah. in The Handmaid's Tale that you can spin out an interesting ensemble sort of fleshing out of the world like the book is so focused on Offred and on what happens in the family that she's in and we get to see her in other little parts of the world mm -hmm. but um like i want to see the guy that she you know works for and his wife at home and some of the other women and like the club that they uh, go to or you know like i think it I yeah think well one thing right. that tvs and movies can do, is can do silence you know like you can have longer scenes and slow down when you're reading you kind of burn through it right that's only 311 yeah. pages i guess if you can make the hobbit into nine three-hour movies you can well, do and, 10 episodes yeah i just watched the um the first season of the magicians yep. on sci-fi mm -hmm. that's the adaptation of lev grossman's series and the season kept pretty close to doing just in the season what they do in just the first book of the trilogy. Um, and I think it was 10 episodes, maybe 12, but that really felt like it felt right. There was enough action in each episode to keep it moving along. And the characters were interesting and they did get like the side characters got fleshed out in interesting ways that they weren't in the book. Um, I think 10, I think 10 episodes is good. I'd be worried if they were saying like, we're going to do an like a, a long run HBO right. multiple seasons series of the handmaid's tale. But I think you can write 10 good episodes. It also doesn't say if it's 30 minutes or an hour, you know, if it's, or I guess mm. in the, the modern network, uh, Internet TV world twenty two minutes or forty four minutes, um, yeah, I think so. I mean, you get you make it's atmospheric. It's a lot of world building and stuff. You could you could do a slow burn and, and it wouldn't. It's feel Elizabeth Moss who can do that like up she does kind yeah. of thing, but subversive. She's going to be so good. She's going to be really good. She's going to be real. She's the thing about her is that she seems innocent and worldly at the same time. I don't know how yes. she pulls that off. It's magic. It's magic. Um, and that's why, you know, people are actors. I've been thinking about who should be the gross, like, husband that she has to, you know. Mm. And I've been thinking, I think, like, a, you know, in The Saint when Val Kilmer is wearing the The Saint? That makes... That's your reference? <laughs> Can we get something within this, the last 400 years? The Saint? Val Kilmer's this... 1995 star-turning vehicle? Oh, my God. Of course. You know what year The Saint came out in. <laughs> the Saint. No, but saint. it's this particular iteration of Val Kilmer. Where Are you sure you like don't want to pick someone out of carousel or maybe, you know, like stagecoach? <laughs> the Saint. It's hilarious. It's that gross version of Val Kilmer, Jeff. It's not just Val oh, Kilmer the gross, in general. Oh, the gross version of Val Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> the gross, like he's like not a Not Iceman, sweaty... not the clean version. No, that wouldn't work. Like the, this guy needs to be gross. He mm. needs to be like kind of sweaty and maybe Russell unkempt Crow. and... Russell Crowe? Yes. Okay, yes. Very meaty and sweaty and kind of a... Or kind Joaquin, of a... like Joaquin Phoenix yeah. with extra weight on. I don't know. Does it, it kind of needs to be menacing or just gross? I'm trying to figure this out. I think he needs to be a little menacing. Yeah, I don't think Joaquin's really menacing. He's creepy, but Crow is he's a he's kind of intimidating. Mm. Like he carries it around with him that mm -hmm. you know he's just like he's one second well, away from. You're afraid he's about to throw, throw the phone, the phone at, you. at you. Like if <laughs> when you when he walks into a hotel, all the clerks are like putting their helmets on. Like oh god, here comes Crow. <laughs> he, he pitched a Panasonic at me last time. Um... <laughs> In this segment, we've revealed that I'm old. Yes. Well, I knew it. I know it too. <laughs> um, and possibly bigger news even than that. I, I don't know. <laughs> hard to say, I guess. Um, HBO movie, Oprah Winfrey is going to star in an HBO movie adaptation of The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. This is so good. This is really interesting. Uh, in a very difficult adaptation. 
I, I wouldn't want to be the person writing the adaptation. Mm-hmm. Very difficult, I think, to make. I don't know. I guess they're going to do it kind of like Moneyball, right? Where they make it more yeah. into a story and yeah, not just a nonfiction think, book. Is that the way to do I it? I think that's the way to go mm-hmm. is to tell the story of this. And that's what made the book so good yeah. is that narrative that Rebecca Skloot wrote about this woman and her life and this important and terrible thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Um like a documentary about this would be fascinating, but wouldn't get as far. And yeah. so I'm glad to see that they're going to turn it into that. They're going to take that storytelling angle, have someone play the characters like you could get some heart rending interviews with Henrietta Lacks's descendants. But I think this is better. And it's Oprah. Well, I, I guess the other thing I'm not sure about. And again, they know what they're doing. They're adapta- they're ad- adapters and pros. But a lot of what's interesting about the book is after she's dead, you know, a lot of this stuff is after she's died. Mm-hmm. Um, flashbacks you could do. And I'm super yeah. curious just from a yeah. storytelling point of view to see how they It'll do it. But really also the material is fascinating. If you don't know it, if you don't know anything about this, uh, which was like the big nonfiction book of like 2012, something like yeah. that. Um, or maybe even earlier. I think I was maybe still a bookseller. Yeah. Henry, Henry Delax, a, a black woman in the 50s, right? Oh, it's 2010. It says it right in this piece. Uh, yeah, yeah, 1951. 51. She had this really aggressive, fast-growing form of cancer that became basically the the go-to cell series, cell line for cancer research and yeah. genetic her, research and a whole bunch of stuff. Right. Her doctors harvested her cells and used them yeah. for research essentially without her consent or knowledge yeah. and without and ever cultured them and they became parts of billion dollar drugs and they went to space as part I mean a really amazing story and an, an amazingly reported and organized and structured book by um uh, uh Rebecca Sloot um so that's that's exciting to see I don't that is I don't really think we exciting. said but the the Hulu Handmaid's Tale is 2017 okay this doesn't say what year it's Mm-mm. going to be so it's probably going to be a year or two out. In other super exciting nonfiction adaptation mm-hmm. news, Lee Daniels has optioned Jesmyn Ward's memoir, Men We Reaped. And we know that optioning doesn't yes. mean yeah, these, that the Oprah thing and the Elizabeth Moth thing, those are going to happen. That's those beyond happening. Happen. Yeah, beyond optioning, right. Optioning just means they can make it and no one else can make it unless they release the option. Um man, it could be good. And I think they would have to do the same thing with it. Like this is a memoir. And so you have to find people to play the characters and tell the story. Um, I guess this one feels more readily transfer. Like, you know, you have a voiceover mm -hmm. as the girl. I mean, it feels like I can envision, I can envision this one much easier than I can envision uh, Henrietta Lacks, but uh, also very exciting. Very exciting. I to should, see. yeah, I should say if you've been, if you watched Lemonade and you've been thinking about like literary <laughs> references and what was Beyonce reading, I would be really surprised if Beyonce did not read uh, Men We Reaped and those, the like the scenes at the end of Lemonade when they're on the plantation in Mississippi um, are really striking for a lot of reasons. You know, but I, that I love same... the coats, the Between the World and Me, but mm-hmm. Men We Reaped. Oh, for it's nonfiction, the, you know, by yeah. a black person over the last couple of years, it's not. This is not a Highlander situation. There won't be one, but right. I, I wish. I wish that. And then we reaped. It, it did very well. I mean, don't I wish give that me wrong. Gotten the same. Yeah, thing I wish. That it, that and, and that book gotten. is extraordinary, and the attention it's still in hardback, and it's sold. It's still on. It's still on some of these. Mm-hmm. I, when, I just wish um, this. Men we, we reaped had made wider circulation. Did we mention on this show, I can't remember if it was on this show or if Liberty talked about it on all the books, uh. that um, Jasmine Ward is editing a collection called The Fire this time. Mm. 
That's um, a bunch of contemporary writers on race that's coming out later this year. Fire This Time um, is a riff on James Baldwin's famous mm-hmm. title, The Fire Next Time, yeah. uh, which came out in the 60s, which also is excellent. Uh, let's call that a show. Yeah, that's, that's a good show. note to end uh, on. Thanks to Audible, audiblepodcast.com slash bookwrite. Get a free 30-day membership. Go to bookofthemonth.com, enter code bookwrite50, uh, excuse me, bookwrite30, no spaces, to get 30% off a three-month membership over there. You can pick from one of five books each month, selected by their expert judges. You can email us, podcast at bookwrite.com. Go to bookwrite.live.com if you want to get some early bird tickets, get yourself some goodies. Uh, I'm on Twitter at the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L. She's at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. If you're wandering around BEA, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, we'd love to talk to you for a few minutes. We'll be there and in and out of meetings and tweet out. It's probably the easiest thing to do, and it can tell you where we are. I don't have anything to give out. Do we have anything we can give out? What do we even have? High fives. High fives. <laughs> the greatest currency of all, victory over me. Um, <laughs> and that's our show. You can find show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. Thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Have a good one.